Welcome to EdTech Adventures. Join us as we explore the role of technology, STEM, and creative play in education. With expert guests, we'll discover how learning is always an adventure. Today, we're going to discuss the importance of social emotional learning, or SEL, when it comes to the classroom and ed tech. What are the benefits of SEL and how can it be integrated into different subject areas and learning experiences? Our guest, Derry Stevens, will be sharing how she's used SEL to design a wide variety of curriculum experiences and platforms. Derry is a dedicated learning experience designer who's passionate about creating quality content and programs for kids, families, and educators. With her classroom teaching background and her work experience at tech companies such as Wonder Workshop, Nickelodeon, and Common Sense Education, Derry's work has resulted in multi-award-winning programs and products. Thanks so much for joining us today, Derry. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited. I wanted to start by asking you to describe a memorable education experience that you've had as a student. Oh, goodness. I was fortunate. I had really great teachers growing up, so I'm sure I could pull a bunch across the grades. But one actually came to mind recently. In sixth grade, my school, Tower School, did a medieval fair. So shout out to Mrs. Cook and Mrs. Sledge. It was really kind of project-based learning back in the day. And I don't remember how long we did it for, but I want to say it was months long work where we got to collaborate with other students like classmates and pick a topic. So mine was all about fashion, <laughs> but we, <laughs> we went deep, right? So we had to learn how to like spin wool with hand spindles. I had to go out and interview somebody in the community to learn how to do that. We then put on a whole medieval fair for the whole school-wide community where we dressed up and we had like stations and parents and teachers and students would come around and visit the different stations. I think I loved it because it was a cross-curricular approach. It was history, but in art class, we were designing shields where we were like, you know, there were quadrants and we had to illustrate parts of ourselves. So it really was this unique and obviously memorable way to dive into a historical time period in, in such a creative way. That sounds so holistic and immersive at the same time. What was it like that final day when it was the medieval fair and it sounds like your parents showed up and the like yep. community showed up? What did it feel like as a kid? I can tell you where I was in the gym. That's how memorable it was and what color outfit because we all had these probably ancient outfits that our teachers had sewn for us that we got to pick out and wear. But it just, it was, I think it was empowering, right? It's autonomy when it comes to learning where we got to educate somebody else because my mom and dad knew nothing about middle, medieval history. So I think it was that pride of, let me tell you what I've learned. Let me put my spin on it for you. And so it really was just an authentic learning experience. So can you share how you were introduced to the world of ed tech? Sure. So I taught for 10 years um, and I taught in the inner city and then I taught, I've taught in public schools all along, but kind of the two polar ends of public schools. Um, and it was my last year teaching in public school and we received a smart board, or I should say every classroom received a smart board. So the community had done this big fundraising to be able to outfit the schools with these pieces of technology. And I was just like, I was like a five-year-old. I was in awe of what I could do to it. And I just kept lamenting if I had the smart board in the urban schools that I worked in, 
that were bankrupt academically and financially without resources and just really far behind the curve, the things I could have done, right? Because the smart boards gave us instant access to content. It was truly a portal. We had connections to outside the outside world, whether it was looking at news events. I remember that year, there was that horrific earthquake in Japan and being able to pull up images to give younger kids concrete ideas about what was happening far away from them, but still affecting them. Um, there was such a library of rich text and video, which I didn't have access to at these other schools. And then the inter interactivity, one of the greatest pieces, we had smart board training from the folks at Smart Technologies. And I remember one of the, it was so simple and yet so like awe-inspiring where the trainer put a math problem on the board and then she colored over the answer in white ink, basically, in the smart board, so that the kids would then come up with the eraser and reveal the answer once they had figured out the problem. So it was like this magic trick. So it was just these little ways that technology could enhance what I was already doing, and not so little ways, quite honestly. But it was just this, like I said, access that was so exciting. And sounds like that smart board experience. What how did that spur you into thinking about, hey, I want to be part of this evolution. I want to be part of this industry. It, it shifted my, I guess, journey quite a bit. I had already gone back to grad school for a master's in education. And at that point, I decided I was going to do it again um, because I just wanted to learn more about the wonderful world of ed tech. I knew that there was so much out there, but I also knew what I didn't know. And so I went back to school. Stanford has a program called Learning Design and Technology, and it brings together a cohort of learners, adult learners, but from across the kind of, you know, industries or what you want to call them, disciplines. So there was a handful of us that had taught or were teaching in the classroom, but then there were designers and entrepreneurs who want to do startups and people from the health and wellness sector. So all about how do you learn with technology regardless of your age? And what were your takeaways from that? Because I, I actually love the LDT program at Stanford. I've been able to go to some of their events. What were your takeaways from that whole experience of what you got to work on during the program, the people that you got to meet? The people were amazing. We had a cohort of 19 students from all over the world. So just having all those perspectives and people coming from all different backgrounds in terms of their experiences was just wonderful. But I think at the end of the day, again, it just showed me how much I didn't know and how ever-changing the wonderful world of ed tech is and how we need to embrace that and be excited and not try to be overwhelmed. It can be overwhelming. It can be a fire hose at time, but more looking at what are the possibilities? What are the opportunities? How can I curate or make that toolkit of tools that will help me in my classroom or whatever educational pursuit I'm doing? So it's just more I think about the excitement and, and knowing that was a year and a half, but I could have stayed for years. <laughs> That's how I feel. I always want to keep going back to the well mm -hmm. of, of experiences and knowledge there. So you finished that master's program. You got all of this excitement and energy and new perspective. What did you do next? I went on and worked with the great team at Common Sense Education. They had uh newly released at that point their digital citizenship curriculum 
which was one of those terms. Everybody was like digital, what? But really was kind of an interesting intersection for me around education and technology and making sure that kids were harnessing it for good and really grabbing onto the potential of technology and not falling to the wayside of like, you know, there's so, there's so many obstacles and challenges out there. And it's a different world today where if you stumble, that can be part of your permanent digital footprint, unlike when we were kids, or I should say when I was a kid. So how do we let kids kind of be thoughtful about that before they make those big stumbles? So you joined when they had developed that curriculum, then what were you involved with at Common Sense? So I started out by leading um, the team around the digital citizenship curriculum. It had just been released. We were modifying content for elementary. If my memory serves me right, they started with middle, went to high school, and then went to elementary. And then we developed, so we had a whole suite. We expanded the curriculum for, so K to 12. We came up with, oh goodness, all sorts of resources, a lot of really valuable videos. We produced two apps So digital passport and digital compass. One of the videos we, it's funny, you mentioned common sense because one of the videos we produced, I just looked at recently, it was a jingle. I kept saying little kids need songs they can latch onto and sing. And we created one called pause and think online. And NBC had picked it up as a PSA and movie theaters were playing it. And I just looked at it this week as part of another project. And one of the videos on YouTube alone has over 10 million views. So those messages have really resonated and um, grown. So I led that team and then I ended up leading the team that was doing the EdTech ratings and reviews. So helping teachers kind of suss out those really good tools and also helping the companies producing them have really the teacher's input. So it was a great experience with Common Sense. Sounds like you were able to make such a huge impact. Uh, And it also sounds like you were throwing in some social emotional learning into some of that content. So diving into that, Mm -hmm. when did you first become aware of social emotional learning or SEL? I think for me, it's always been top of mind. I grew up with an older Down syndrome brother. It's why I ended up in education. I'm sure he's 13 months older than I am. We grew up kind of freaking frack, but I was always in awe of his growth, watching how like academically and socially it was all entwined. And also how media played a big role in that. He'd walk away from Sesame Street saying, hola, and people would kind of look at him like, wait, here's this Downs kid speaking Spanish as a second language. And I'd say to him, Clayton, not everybody knows Spanish. And he'd go, oh, okay. So yeah. He's he's adorable. So I think I always kind of looked at that whole child development side or appreciated that early on. And then when I got into teaching, I just really embraced, I think it's the teacher's job, not just to address their academic goals, kids' academic goals, but also their social and emotional needs. So they're not only thriving today as a student, but tomorrow when they're all grown up and out of school and being hopefully a contributing member of society. So I'd always known about social emotional learning. I knew the acronym years ago, but I think now it's just kind of coming into the mainstream in terms of people grasping onto what it means. And it's hard to define. Speaking of which, (laughs) how would you define SEL? Because I agree it's been in the ethos of a lot of educators for years and years, but it is showing up more and more as a hot buzzword. And it can also get confusing understanding what it means. So how would you define SEL? Yeah, I think it is quite abstract and nuanced. There's a lot of gray and quite honestly, recently it's, it's relatively misunderstood. I think it's becoming 
politicized, unfortunately. And we can get all theoretical about what it is, but I had a conversation. This was, I don't know, maybe two years ago with somebody in a formal conversation. This is going to come across as crass, but she, we were talking about SEL, how to define it. And she said to me, I mean, it's at the end of the day, it's about not being an a-hole. And I was like, huh, <laughs> okay. But it's true for me, how do you define being good or being well, right? Like how can you be a content and balanced person and how do you contribute by being kind and helpful to others? So there's the side of yourself. How do you develop your identity? And then there's the others. How do you build meaningful relationships? And I think that's at the core about just being a good person, right? And that's through childhood and then into your adulthood as well. And I really appreciate currently how SEOs really is folding in mental health and helping normalize those conversations. I agree because I think for forever, kids have been taught to be kind to others, mm -hmm. but it's not as intrinsic or obvious to be kind to yourself when yeah. it comes to mental health and things like that. And I also have been thinking too, and we've been noticing that in the past, I think everyone just assumed that it would just naturally come about right. as kids played with each other, as they went to school and learned different subject areas. But it seems like recently people have realized SEL needs to be skills that are thoughtfully taught and intentionally taught. How have you noticed that changing in the last couple of years? I agree. I think it's that emphasis on takes a village to raise a child. We hope a lot of that happens in the home. We can't assume that. We know that schools are a great partner for home and family. So how do we make sure that these messages are universally being supported? I do think there's a literacy component to it. There's a lot of other ways to talk about SEL, whether it's character development or emotional literacy. But I think giving kids early on a common vernacular or the language to use, you, you see it a lot with little kids, right? Whether it's preschool or kindergarten, when we talk about emotions and giving them what's the difference between being mad or irate or frustrated or um, stressed. There's, it's such a continuum. So the more we can do to help kids articulate that will only help them be able to be more self-aware and self-manage their behavior. So I think there is a place for it to be explicitly taught, but I think it needs to be done thoughtfully across subject areas and not just taught in the silo. We all know educators are just strapped for time trying to squeeze in right. a learning objective here, a learning objective there. I, I think sometimes it gets deprioritized outside of, I think I, I agree. Early grades, we spend a lot of time about feelings. They understand the different kinds of feelings, but I then usually it gets abandoned on the wayside as they get older. But why should educators actually care about integrating SEL in the classroom across subject areas throughout the grade levels? Well, I think it's all about development, right? And you can't nurture one aspect of a child without addressing the others. A child isn't ready to learn if they're tired or they're depressed or they're hungry, right? It's about how do we broaden perspectives and, and help kids have open minds. And that can be done, again, throughout different areas of the curricula, whether it's history and perspective taking or times we've misstepped in the past. And there have been many. So how do we learn from our mistakes <laughs> or help kids learn from from mistakes made in the past and give them kind of that real world perspective. But at the end of the day, if all teachers are kind of on board around this mission to bring SEL into the school day, it just improves school culture 
classroom culture and school culture overall, because your classroom and your schools are kind of microcosms or mini representations of society as a whole. So it's in many ways, just a great training ground almost. I like how the culture too is such an important aspect of SEL. It really nurtures that. So hopping out of the classroom, could you describe how SEL has actually also become a focus in your work with companies uh, like Common Sense in the past? And I know you've worked at Wonder Workshop where we met. How has that started threading into your work with companies? It's definitely a hot topic right now with companies that I work with. Common Sense was definitely one where SEL was ingrained in everything we did. And again, it gets back to how children have to be cognizant of their actions and then the reactions, right? So with digital literacy and digital citizenship, again, we were looking at what we called rings of responsibility. What do you do as a person? What do you, how do you consider your friends and family? And then this, the broader society at large, because it's hard for kids to understand when they type a certain word, let's say, and, or post a photo online there's that disinhibition effect where they don't realize that screen literally is like a physical barrier for them to realize the consequences of their actions. So I think with digital citizenship, SEL goes hand in hand. And again, it's one of those topics, like you said, that tends to be kind of pushed to the side and supplemental and OFI of time. And yet it's core at what everything we do when it comes um, to learning. There was a shift several years ago where instead of like ABCs and one, two, threes, we started talking about the four C's, right? That framework where now it's about to be successful in today and tomorrow's worlds. It's about your communication skills, your collaboration skills, your critical thinking skills, and your creativity, the four C's. And I think a lot of those skill sets are grounded in SEL, digital citizenship, and those type of topics that are more broad reaching. And I think it seemed like a natural fit with what you were creating at Common Sense, but I wanted to explore a different product where it might not be as obvious. So at Wonder Workshop, where we work together, they made robots that teach kids how to code, right? So on the outs- robots, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, we played with robots every day and I was going, I we get paid to do this. This is great. <laughs> but at first glance, you're going, these are robots. They're learning how to code. How does SEL fit there? Yeah. So when I came to Wonder Workshop, it was to try to grow their Wonder League robotics competition. So Wonder Workshop for years now has had this worldwide competition that they run for several months that get kids involved in problem solving using uh, Dash and Dot the robots. So what was unique about that and really, again, supported kind of the SEL skill sets was that kids were working in many times in teams, right? They were coming together around this common goal to solve problems, to think critically, but they were also recognizing their strengths, what they could bring to the table, so to speak, but also challenging themselves outside their comfort zone. And I know the parents and the teachers, the coaches of these Wonder Leagues also were kind of challenging their own SEL, right? Because there were so many instances of we, as we say, failing forward, something didn't work, didn't go as expected. What do you do? You go back to the drawing board, you try again, you persevere, you embrace that challenge with enthusiasm versus being down in the dumps about it not working. So it was really inspiring to watch these kids 
as young as, what was it, six or seven, just spend months on these challenges that we would put forth to them. And then they would have the opportunity at the end to put together a presentation and share their experience. So they were reflecting on their own learning. They were talking about what went well, but also more importantly, what did not go well. And I think that's so valuable when we look to the challenges we have in life, whether it's as grownups with family or jobs or whatever else we might be pursuing. So it's a really unique opportunity that they still offer. And funnily enough, it just harkens back to your medieval fair <laughs> reflection or memory, right? Because uh -huh. it does sound like it was a year long experience and they got to present and publish something that they got to work on. So, hey, Absolutely. it just keeps coming back. <laughs> Absolutely. That project-based learning. I mean, there's a lot, it's hard to do as a teacher to facilitate, but if you let the kids run with it, then the outcomes are always just so amazing. So magical. So hopping into what you're doing now, it looks like yeah. you're working with classroom champions. Can yeah. you go a little deeper into what that is and how SEL plays a role? Yeah. So I have my own consulting company now and work with a bunch of different companies. And I've worked now, I think it's goodness, been two and a half years with Classroom Champions. And I just adore them as an organization, the team, the mission. But they, for over the last 10 years, have had this mission of bringing real life role models, partnering with schools for kids. So to back up a little bit, the founder uh, and CEO, Steve Messler, he's a three-time Olympian and gold medalist. He started going to schools and giving talks and he'd talk about how wonderful they were. And then he'd walk away and be like, well, one and done, right? <laughs> he didn't know if it had a lasting effect. He never talked to the kids again. And he started thinking, what if I could make this more lasting and more meaningful? So he basically reached out to his cadre of Olympic and Paralympic friends and set up this virtual mentorship. So these athletes would get paired with a school or a classroom and they mentor throughout the year. And it's the organization has now grown and they have a K-8 SEL foundations curriculum. So teachers can join on and be part of this community of educators bringing SEL to kids, but through the lens of sport. And you don't have to be athletic to appreciate it. What's unique is these athletes, so Olympians, Paralympians, they now have pro athletes in the mix. They're world-class elite athletes who succeed and fail on a daily basis. So they, they're almost extreme personifications of social emotional learning. And these athletes are still learning, right? Like later in life, they're, they're out of the classroom, but the kids get to see them on the stage, literally the world stage, succeeding or not. But it's so endearing. The kids have these live video chats with the athletes. And right before the Olympics, so many of the classrooms were throwing send-off parties. And they on That's camera, so sweet. Right? With their handmade posters. And oh, my goodness. <laughs> the kids talk about their friends. So my friend Chris Mazder and my friend Andrew Kuka and, and Lana Myers-Taylor, like the ones we're hearing about in the news, there's such meaningful relationships the kids build and have with these role models. And it's virtual, right? These athletes have crazy uh, schedules. So it's all through like video chats and video updates. And we've created this whole curriculum of lessons that teachers can do in the classroom that have, again, kind of a project-based slant to them that athletes give the kids monthly challenges to work together on. It's a unique SEL program in that these athletes personify how SEL really is a lifelong journey. And I like how you use the word relationship 
like your founder said, can't just see that person one time because that one time only captures a moment in their learning journey. But yep. being able to have these touch points, it sounds like they meet every month with their mentor. How often do they see the kids? Within the curriculum, there's eight units and there's eight different athletes featured. But then when a classroom is paired with a, an athlete as a role model, they have eight additional videos around those curricular themes. Then they get monthly video updates. So Chris Mazder had an injury leading up to Olympics. So he was literally on the track giving updates about, I hope I'm going to be able to compete. I don't know. I mean, like the kids were there with him during the stressful time or Andrew Kirka often will do it from like a ski lift. Like it's just, it's so authentic and it's so cool. And then they do two live chats, these video chats throughout the year. So then they'll actually have time for question and answer, but we've had classrooms use like Flipgrid as a way for kids to send messages. So even though they're not necessarily there, so we have had some athletes get sponsored to actually go visit classrooms, but it's still just as meaningful because it's like the new age pen pal. I know you feel like you have VIP access to these amazing athletic heroes. Yeah. And the teachers love it too, right? Because we as teachers didn't grow up again with SEL. So they almost have this teaching partner, if you will. It's somebody else reiterating the message, give a real life story or example. And then the teachers and athletes also have this online community. So they can all kind of chat best practices or what's going on in their lives. But the teachers will often say it's just helpful having another voice in the room. So you mentioned the Olympics. It sounds like you've recently partnered with them and other ed tech platforms to focus on SEL. Could you share what that experience has been like? This has been one of the greatest projects to date I think I've been involved in. So Classroom Champions partnered with NBC Olympics last year for the Tokyo Olympics. This was year two of trying to highlight, again, what kids can learn from these elite athletes. So for year two, we started brainstorming, like, what else can we do? How can we have really rich content, a lot of it, and make it available to millions of kids? Like, how can we broaden that reach and make it all available for free? So we started um, brainstorming and basically came up with this dream team of elite EdTech organizations. So the ones you all know and love, Brain Pop, Epic, Go Noodle, Sports Engine, Wakelet. So Classroom Champions and NBC Olympics put the ask out to these folks. They all said yes. We're like, great. So within a matter of months, we all produced original content, video content and downloadables around four Olympic and Paralympic athletes. So Chris Mazder, the top of mind, Andrew Kirka, mm -hmm. Alana Myers-Taylor and Dan Knossen, all really unique role models and athletes in their own right. We created this content with them. The initiative is called Champion Mindset because these role models on TVs have such great mindsets and we want all kids to have this champion mindset. And for eight weeks through the middle of March, basically over the winter Paralympic um, and Olympic games, anybody, educators, parents have access to this champion mindset content. That sounds fabulous. I like the word mindset here at Code Combat. We do coding and we're always saying growth mindset. Like you said, failing forward. And that mindset is so key. 
It is. And when we went to these organizations, Brain Pop, Epic, like they all do very different things. They offer different resources for kids and teachers and homes, but they all were behind this whole mission about social emotional wellness for kids. And how do we help kids develop those skill sets? And so the minute we said that, everybody was like, sure. Okay. What, are, when do we start? What are we doing? And it's just, it's been really rewarding to have this kind of sandbox of these ed tech folks and everybody's just brought so much to the table. With this project, you're looking at, again, collaborating with mm -hmm. multiple stakeholders. Like we said at the school where everyone needs to be invested in SEL, right? Not just in the school, but whole communities, the ed tech community. If we can all be invested in this mission, it, it's going to be amazing. Mm -hmm. No, it's been great. And then hopefully we'll do it again in two years like for the next Olympics and Paralympic Games. <laughs> So we often focus on SEL for students. That's what we've been talking about with your projects. But how do you see the role of SEL when it comes to educators themselves? <laughs> Great question. And it's come up a lot recently in my conversations with teachers, especially. So I think all adults need SEL, but you know, teachers are really on the front lines during these pandemic times. So when you look at the research, burnout, attrition rates, they're at an all-time high. And it, it's just honestly alarming right now. And we've known about it for a while, right? Like these stats aren't anything new, sadly. But when you talk to teachers about self-care, they all kind of roll their eyes, right? They don't have any extra minute in their profession, never mind personal um, lives for such self-care. But it really is that age-old adage, I think, you know, what you hear on the planes where they're like, you got to put your oxygen mask on first before helping others. Yep. And I think teachers need some TLC right now, because if we don't take care of our teachers, they can't in turn take care of our kids' needs. So I think there is that side of it around what do we need to do for teachers' wellness. And then on the flip side of it, okay, once they're feeling good and whatnot, what we talked about before, we didn't grow up with SEL explicitly, right? So a lot of us don't have role models to look to or experiences that we've had to rely on and iterate on. So one, we need it for our own wellness. And then two, we need it as a model to teach to others. And as we know, across a lot of different topics, unfortunately, schools don't always have enough time or resources to do proper training. So it's, I think, helping schools get the training they need and also helping teachers seek out what is available readily, whether it's online for free, there is a lot of good out there, but again, helping them curate that because they don't have time in their day to go sleuth around. And I think we keep circling back to this, but it can't be an individual burden on each teacher right. to do so. Yeah. I feel like if it, it'll just get swept on the bottom of the list, I, like the oxygen mask, every teacher we've talked to that you and I have met over the years, they always see their students first, right? right. Instead of themselves. So I almost wonder then if, if it needs to be a whole school objective, a school yeah. purpose so that you can do it together and really invest in it together as an entire culture. I agree. I think it's something school leaders can help with, whether they help curate resources, vet resources, families can weigh in. I was just writing an article recently and talking about how do you help schools discover the resources that are out there, whether it's for training purposes or for student needs, but Pinterest, blog articles, webinars, there are a lot of great webinars out there. And again, teachers don't have a whole lot of extra time, but if it's something they can listen to 
our podcasts on their way to work or when they do have a down moment. But how do we make it easy for them to all get on board and find what works best for their student population? I think that's the work we have ahead of us to really make sure not just the student, but also the educator gets these resources that they need. Right. Uh, speaking about our educators again, we've been talking about how they've been trying to fold SEL into other subject matters, such as math, computer science, history, athletics. Uh, what are the benefits of integrating SEL into multiple subject areas? We don't want it taught in a silo. We want it woven throughout the curriculum so that it does become a lifelong pursuit. I think it needs to become a habit of mind is a good way to think about it. And that's an argument for starting it early and making it continuous in every grade. So it's fabric of who we are. And I think it can be done in a cross-curricular way. There's explicit ways to teach SEL, but then there are subtle ways. So think about those lessons in history that can te teach about being courageous or standing out as an in individual. Think about the classic tales in literature or the not so classic ones that really showcase empathy. I think science and math are great subjects for showcasing the ideals of perseverance and grit and failing forward and embracing that idea of failure. So I think there's a lot of different ways. I was just at FETC, the EdTech Conference in Florida, and was surprised by how many people came up saying that they were trying to fold SEL into their STEAM or STEM time. And I think there's definitely a place for it. I also worried it might just be a catch-all, trying to carve out <laughs> time in the day, but I applaud any way to get it kind of cemented in people's minds and in the schedules and then expanding from there. We talked about teachers have known SEL for a while. It's not new for them. What is new and what is exciting is it is being more universally recognized. And then ESSA right now, Title IV funds, there's a lot of funding out there for SEL. So it's finding those grants, matching it with the programs you really want, and getting some programmatic approaches into practice that are, I think, critical, especially now with the pandemic. In more extreme terms, think of it as early intervention, because I don't think we will know, unfortunately, what the effects of this pandemic are academically or socially or emotionally for several years now. But it often, these type of ill effects often take a long time to surface. So as much as we can try to get in there with the good, will hopefully help thwart some of those hiccups that are bound to come or surface. And it sounds intimidating. Like we said, it, it's a really big concern to tackle. So what advice would you give to someone who's interested in integrating SEL in their school or classroom or maybe in their product that they're working on in ed tech to make it less intimidating? I think the first one is talking and connecting with others. Again, technology affords us so many ways to connect with people we know or don't know online, but whether you're developing a product or you're in a classroom and maybe feeling that you don't have a team teaching approach, reach out and see what others are doing, find those best practices, and then figure out how to adopt them and adapt them for your own classroom. There's a lot online. So if you Google social emotional programs um, or best of, you will see programs like Classroom Champions and others kind of come up in the search. And then again, you can look and see how the programs are differentiated from one another and which one again fits your school and your kids needs the best. Seek out training. 
again, teachers don't have extra time in the day. So I'm cognizant that that's like the number one barrier, but as much as you yourself can get familiar with what SEL is, what it means to teach it, what it means to develop those skill sets. You can start with light touch ways and then go deeper. Nothing wrong with starting small. You don't have to take on a whole curriculum like every single day right off the bat. Classroom Champions has a program called Champion Check-In. It's a one minute video with a discussion prompt that they can do daily. Something like that is at least that baby step forward. Good old SEL terms, it's how do you have short-term goals and then plan for the longer-term goals? And then again, push for it. Be an advocate. You don't have to do it alone, but I think sometimes being the squeaky wheel and highlighting to your principal or your district why it's important, what is out there, what's free or low cost, getting families and parents and caregivers behind you on that. They, they often bring the results the fastest, but if, if you can get a kind of a united front around recognizing the need and then trying to address the need, my mom always says safety in numbers. So the more people you have kind of in your corner, you don't have to do it on your own. And I think that's right now, pandemic and otherwise, people are feeling the pressure of trying to shoulder things on their own and we don't have to and shouldn't have to. So there is a lot of good out there for SEL. So hopefully you can find something that works best for you. Love it, Derry. And cannot emphasize enough that we are all not alone in this mm -hmm. effort, right? And there's right. no way we could do it alone. Nope. Schools, communities are strongest when they bring in all stakeholders, including kids, right? Like you could have kids on your vetting committee, have kids help you find or rank which resources they like the best. They'll be candid. They'll tell you. <laughs> Actually, I love that idea. We talk about what can educators do, but really what can students do too, right? It, we shouldn't put all the burden or the opportunity on right. the educators' backs, but the students can also get involved as well. Absolutely. But, yeah. Love that takeaway, Derry. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your experience. And I hope all of you out there take some of these ideas to heart and let's see SEL just keep growing and growing out there. Thanks, Charlotte. Thanks for listening to EdTech Adventures. Please subscribe to catch more of our episodes and leave a review to support the show. For more resources and info, visit us at codecombat.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Charlotte Chang. We'll see you on our next learning adventure.